welcome to Bookish at Bethel. This is Carrie Peffley, and I'm in the philosophy department here at Bethel. I'm Anne-Marie Koistra. I'm in the history department. And today we're joined by Logan Brunner, who is one of our teaching assistants for the program, and an unusual student in that he really, really loves Edmund Burke. So he's here today to talk to us about Edmund Burke. He's English ed and philosophy, so he loves reading literature, talk to a little, a little uh, about philosophy, about lit, and about the Enlightenment, which he loves a lot. Logan, why don't you start us off by talking a little bit about the readings that students will be reading in Humanities this week? Yeah, for sure. Um, I can give a little synopsis of the Edmund Burke reading, Reflections on the Revolutions in France. And uh, Burke is writing uh, to a Frenchman who asked about his opinions on the revolutions that have recently taken place. And right from the get-go, it becomes very clear that... uh, Burke is not a huge fan of those revolutions, and he doesn't want that spirit to travel to England. Mm -hmm. Uh, He recognizes uh, the natural rights of man that Payne discusses in his text, but he sees them as more of a hindrance to government. So where Payne sees natural rights, Burke kind of sees just a bunch of abstract fluff and theories that doesn't really accomplish anything. Um, So this is where Burke uh, makes his kind of running claim that uh, the government provides the real rights of man relying on the past knowledge of human nature. Mm-hmm. So you take from the past to apply to the future, or the present, I should say, mm-hmm. whereas Payne would maybe uh, kind of say, screw the past and let's go for what we have right now. Uh, Burke sees the English ideal of religion as being sort of um, a bedrock of a stable nation, which is a pretty notable point in the early part of his text. Uh, and is also quite super applicable to today, which I'll talk about in a little bit. Um, Next, he critiques the legitimacy of the revolutions in France, if they're just or not. Um, And most of the political leaders in France were actually seeking reform, which is really interesting, and Burke brings that up. So that's kind of his counter-argument to Payne saying that they were just revolutions. Um, And then Burke goes on to critique the National Assembly of France and their ability to uphold peace in the economy and he believes they're not going to, which is quite a wise <laughs> assessment. Um, mm-hmm. And sort of the conclusion is he looks to England as the prime example of what France ought to do. Reform the broken structure, maximize liberty. Uh, if you can't fix it all with a revolution, keep the good. Now, it seems to me that, that that's, that's a very good discussion of Burke's point of view. It seems like you are a little bit uh, pro-Burkean, Logan. Indeed. Do you <laughs> want to? Yeah, okay. So wh- why don't you tell us a little bit about um, why you love Burke so much? Yeah. So I'm going to be honest, the reading is not fun. And for the <laughs> students out there, it is a bit of a grind. You'll have to get through it. But it's the content and what you learn from it that actually is incredibly insightful and amazing to, to learn. Um, for me, the humanities department as a whole is quite important to uh, the way I think and my future thoughts um, on education. And this reading really kind of cemented that because Burke's whole philosophy, the overarching uh, theme is that we take from the past to reform the future, the present, where we're at. And today we kind of, we, we live in a world that is quite broken, of course, and every age would think that. But if we all had a little bit of Burke on our side and realized that the humanities matter, there's value in the past, and we're not perfect right now, I think that everybody could learn from that politically, uh, on the university standpoint, 
even just on your own individual standpoint. Everyone could learn a little bit from that. Were you a little surprised after reading Burke and then Payne to find yourself more in the Burke camp than the Payne camp? Yeah, certainly. Um, My class definitely favored Payne, mm-hmm. and I think that's kind of the common trend. The revolutionary yeah. spirit is pretty fun to kind of hop on board with and say, screw everything in the past. But yeah, as I, um, as I was reading, I found Payne was kind of from... Uh, from a glance at first hand, he's very appealing and it looks fun and it's flashy, but yeah, I was a little surprised to find that I like Burke a little more because he's kind of dry and the reading, like I said earlier, it's not the most fun, but it's very, very interesting once you get into it. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that's, <laughs> I, you're sort of unusual in that most students don't Yep. enjoy reading Burke, and they don't really enjoy talking about Burke, and so Burke yeah. is, is not the favorite at all. Uh, but I think you're right, it's partially the dry tone, and then partially that I think most people do have this sort of, especially young people, I think Burke would say, have this revolutionary <laughs> spirit. Yeah, and I mean, it really does also depend. Like my class, we had a lot of people who were fully committed to the to the discussions that we had, and that's really what makes the humanities route special, if you have a class that's willing to participate. So maybe in a little mark of advice to students doing this, if you want to get some good stuff out of it, commit to it, even if you're unsure, because that's where the actual learning will take place. Mm-hmm. Do you have any other advice for students who are about to read Burke? Yeah. Um, Tips? So I would say mark the heck out of your book. Um, I'm an English guy and I love marking up books. Go for it. Do that all the time. Um But also in doing that, don't just underline and highlight everything. Um, What I try and do is with Burke, he'll have some some idea about how religion is the basis of a firm society. Uh, You could maybe make a little note that connects that to some modern application. You have some synthesis bridging the gap that helps you understand because you're not going to get every little reference that he makes to the past history unless you're a historian. Mm -hmm. But by kind of bridging the gap of, oh, I can connect this to something I know of today. That's how you can maybe make it a little more interesting and understandable. Mm-hmm. Were there certain ideas in Burke that you thought, oh, this makes sense maybe for the time in which he lived, but I'm not sure that these premises hold true in the the present situation? Well, Burke is great in that he's kind of a calm presence on the political spectrum, but I do see the need for some revolutionary spirit that Payne talks about. Um, We can't always just reform everything. Sometimes there is a broken cycle and there is a need to kind of be cut and dry. So yeah, sometimes a little revolutionary spirit can't hurt, but as long as it's checked by Burkean basis, then it's good. Okay. And so I would just push that maybe a little bit further. So for me, Mm-hmm. Even though I am probably conservative in some ways, and so certainly as a historian, I do mm-hmm. enjoy Burke's use of the past. As an American, though, I find it very difficult to resonate with some of these ideas about uh, aristocracy and the need for the aristocracy to kind of still be in charge given the generations of training they've had. Sure. And then the other thing I would probably have a little bit of concern about is his belief in the relationship between the crown 
and the church, even though, mm-hmm. my goodness, I would love for my political leaders to also be, you know, religiously ardent. But I'm not sure, again, in like the present time, mm-hmm. that's actually realistic at all. Yeah. So my kind of take on that is um, the the finite little details of Burke are maybe confined to his time. Mm-hmm. We can't take all of that as literal, but it's the application of his politics and his reason that we can value from. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing when you're reading the Bible. Everything is contextual. Sure. Like you can't take it for 100% validity. We mm-hmm. need to do exactly what they say. It's, it's contextual. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, and I do wonder, right, so a, a Burkean, right, a small C conservative, which I definitely have elements of the sort of small C conservative in the, you need to be cautious about change. Like, I'm, I think I'm a little bit more revolutionary than, say, a Burke. But there's something to Burke in this, like, you can't just get rid of everything without knowing what you're going to do, this, this quick radical change. Mm-hmm. And so in that sense, I wonder whether Burke would look at our society and say, well, don't try to make any quick um, corrections back to the way it was. Instead, you need to make slow Mm -hmm. corrections. And I think he would want to go back to the aristocracy, a little bit more connection between God and country. And that's where I think he becomes a little too extreme for our Mm -hmm. society. We can't go to that. Democracy is working, but there is a need for reform in different aspects. And I don't think the religion foundation is logical at all for Mm -hmm. today's stance, but we can find some sort of unity, some commonality of man to agree upon, mm-hmm. that's where maybe you could apply his religious principle. Mm-hmm. And I'll just play devil's advocate with myself <laughs> and just say that even our founding fathers, even though they might disagree with Burke's ideas about inherited aristocracy, they certainly believed in government by a natural aristocracy. Yeah, And I got to say, there are times... There are times um, that I wouldn't mind returning more to a slightly more natural aristocracy running the the country. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to put that out there. That's probably going to be a little <laughs> problematic for some folks. But, oh, yeah. Um, you know, I don't like the idea of just anybody being mm-hmm. in charge of the government. Yeah. Yes. Well, and I think there's a bit of with the Electoral College and the difference between the House of Representatives and the Senate, the idea that. While we do want a representative democracy, we also want to make sure that the people who are making the decisions for us do actually know what they're talking about and what what the implications are of their decisions. And so there's a little bit of that kind of natural aristocracy or elitism that enters into the formation of our government, which, again, I'm going to agree with you, Anne-Marie. Oh. I- I'm a bit of an elitist. <laughs> I think that experts who actually know what they're talking about should, in fact, be running things. Well, and we will eventually read James Madison on this very mm-hmm. point in which he'll talk about his concerns about the tyranny of the majority over the minority, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But that's that's another day. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, I mean, that's a fair and a just claim, but Burke again would probably come back and say, we can't really get there quickly. We have to go over a process oh, and sure. yeah. that takes reform. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I think actually the way that we do reform in this country mm-hmm. is through our elections mm-hmm. and that we do actually have a much more Burkean approach to how we change things. Right. It is very slow. Because <gasps> when was the last time we had a revolution in this country? Right. I mean, 1776, Mm -hmm. I think. I mean, there are moments, but even the way that we talk about revolution, there's a lot of discussion about 
is it a revolution or is it social disorder? Is it a riot? Mm -hmm. And even the way that we talk about what's happening suggests a certain kind of uh, perspective Mm -hmm. on what's going on. Right. Yeah. And looking back at those, like the three revolutions that Burke is even talking about, right? The the glorious revolution, Mm -hmm. which is this for Burke, this wonderful example of what, if you're going to have a revolution, should be pretty much bloodless and Mm -hmm. not a whole lot changes, just a few minor tweaks to the system. Then you've got the American revolution, sort of an intermediate. We're going to give it a, a green light because it seems to have worked. Mm-hmm. And then we have the French Revolution that's happening and Burke is very concerned about it. So there's so there's so much revolution in the air at that point. Yeah, I wonder what well and well we can come back on another podcast, but I do wonder if part of Burke's view of the French was also contributing to his view of the French Revolution mm-hmm. versus the British colonists who were doing something in America. I mean, right. there has to be some nationalism yeah. component for Burke there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And that it just, even the way that the American Revolution was functioning, it was like, it was colonist, but it was still, it made sense to him the way that they it were was, going about had it. had liberty in its sight, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. he obviously is a big fan of. Yeah. Yeah. And order, more order. Although we'll talk about riots too yeah, in the but... American context because I can't help myself. But again, <laughs> another, another day. Mm-hmm. Um, so what else do you want folks out there to know about Burke? Or this period hmm. of history and literature in general? Well, this whole period, um, it's like my favorite time in general to study. Um, there's crazy thought going on with Burke and Payne. People are discussing um, essentially history is like being made. It's happening. And I guess for me, like I mentioned earlier, uh, the humanities really kind of come to life at this period. Mm -hmm. Like you learn the classics, you learn the foundations of all that, but this is where it becomes applicable and this is where the relevancy actually matters. And um, no finite details, but just it matters and students commit to it because you'll get a lot out of it. Yeah. Well, and I think what's also really exciting and I think what makes it sort of the beginning of today is that you do actually see these enlightenment theories being put into practice in Mm -hmm. ways that we haven't seen before, at least in the humanities course. Mm -hmm. It's applicable. The students can actually find some tangible thing that they know to apply Mm -hmm. to it. Right. And so whether you disagree with Paine or not, his views about the separation of church and state, that's our existence. And we take that for granted Mm -hmm. and maybe makes them lean toward toward Paine. And yet, you know... Um, I think, too, not a lot of students are very um, excited about the idea of a blooded uh, revolution. Right. Right, right. Nor do they think that we should have revolutions frequently. Correct. And for every reason. Yeah. Yeah. So voting is our revolution, folks. Mm -hmm. Make sure you do that. (laughs) You have the opportunity to do so. That's right. Get out next month if you live in Minnesota and can vote in a primary. Right. Fantastic. I was going to ask any other, so you really like this particular period, Burke and Payne, any other books that you've read just in terms of literature or philosophy from this period Well, that you I would mean, recommend? We get into the transcendentals pretty mm-hmm. soon. And um, it's really interesting with, um, I've read Walden, I've read Self-Reliance, all of these fun essays. And well, I say fun, people might not think <laughs> they are, but um, 
just to see the diversity of thought that is kind of being born in this age is really intriguing to me because you have almost the synthesis of romantic poetry over in England combining with the romanticized view of humanity uh, through the transcendentals. There's just these crazy connections that start happening Mm -hmm. with communication across the board, and it's really exciting to read. Well, it's so funny that you said that, like, that you like the transcendentalists because, I mean, do you like the, you didn't say you like the transcendentalists. I do. I enjoy reading them. I don't always agree with I was going to say. Say that wouldn't follow uh, a Burkean That's what I'm saying. In the slightest, I'm <laughs> yeah. aware. Okay, I was going to be like, huh. <laughs> they're fun to read. <laughs> they're more opinion if I'm, you know, oh, actually yeah. trying to, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. For sure. <laughs> no, they're, they're interesting to read. That's a good sign, though, someone who actually mm-hmm. likes to engage with a lot of different ideas, um, whether he agrees with them or not. Mm-hmm. So, yay. Mm-hmm. Um, what's on your nightstand? Yeah, um, I just finished up a book for my juvenile literature course called The Hate You Give. I was written in 2017. There's a movie that just came out, um, should mention, it's by Angie Thomas, and um, the book focuses on a teenager who witnessed her friend being shot by a police officer and killed in the streets. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're African-American. It takes in their point of view, but specifically a kid, a mm-hmm. teenager. And the book is phenomenal. It's won many awards, but it should win more. And it should, <laughs> it really should be mandated almost in um, every high school. I don't think middle school, middle schoolers are ready, but it offers such a unique perspective on a relevant issue in our nation. Yeah. This is part of juvenile literature. Is that what Dr. Yeah, Susan Brooks? Lit. Yep, with Susan Brooks. Oh, um, nice. So it's essentially we're learning books and literature that we can teach in a middle school and high school standpoint. Okay. So what other books are you reading in that class? Uh, we read a book called Long Way Down, which is kind of a compilation of poetry okay. mixed with uh, a few little images here and there. It's actually interesting if you look at it. Uh, they're going down an elevator shaft throughout this whole poem, and it's kind of this uh, this kid's journey through poverty and uh, a really bad cycle at home. But they go through seven floors, and it actually is a direct allusion to Dante's Inferno, which is kind of fun for the humanities oh, students. We made that connection. They go through the smoke. At one point, the lights go out, so they're blinded by that. The, oh. the illusions are off the charts. So little... Uh, little thing for a juvenile lit it's actually really cool <laughs> that's but, so great yeah. really cool that sounds like a great class mm-hmm. it is it's fun nice and to actually read for enjoyment too that's great and so what's what's coming up that you're looking forward to reading in that class that is a great question haven't really looked ahead in that's that. totally we're, fine. <laughs> we're getting through it right now <laughs> no problem we no are problem. unfair we're at that point in the semester where yeah we are living day to day what's on your nice stand carrie well, so I have to be honest, I have made so little progress in the Testaments. I've read like one additional mm-hmm. chapter this week because I have been rereading Voltaire. So that actually has been on my, uh, Voltaire's Candide has been on my nightstand since we're reading that. And I like to reread, especially if it's been a while since I've taught a particular text. Um, so I decided this was the year to reread Candide. So I've been doing a little bit of that and then a tiny bit of the Testaments. Right on. But it's getting interesting now, the Testaments. Great. What about you, Anne-Marie? Um, so at my church, which is a church that I attend with Rushika Haig, mm-hmm. also of Humanities fame, but also CWC and other classes, um, 
we're doing a Bible study, adult Bible study on Julian of Norwich. So that's been our read aloud after supper. And that's been really fun to read aloud just with my husband and my daughter because Tim barely lets me get too far into the reading before he interrupts with some sort of observation about this, that, or the other. I think Mm -hmm. he's actually had tears a couple of times during the reading. So it's been quite something. Lydia is very intrigued, of course, as well. But then on my nightstand, I started a book by Louise Erdrich called Future Home of the Living God. And I couldn't, and Jenna will, I'm sure, check this all out, but it's been nominated for several awards. I don't know which one it won, but um, Louise Erdrich is a Minnesota author. Uh, she's Native American. And this is, I. she's one of these authors who I would say, I don't love to read her work. And yet I find her so intriguing hmm. that I think I've read book after book by this woman. Um, what I also really like by Louise Erdrich is this series that she wrote for kids. So I'll mention this because we've been talking about juvenile yeah. literature. And this is the Birchbark series, which is sort of set maybe the 18th century, but goes into the 19th century. And it tells the story of a Native American family. And it's a really nice contrast to the Little House on the Prairie series, mm-hmm. because you actually get a sense of what colonization is like from a Native American perspective. And again, this was one that I had not read. <laughs> I had not read the Little House on the, the Prairie series when I was a kid. And so I read this with my daughter. Mm-hmm. And then and I was blown away by how good it was. And then I read the Birchbark series. And I was like, oh, there's no way I could ever again read just one without the other. So that would be my recommended reading Interesting. for your you know, juvenile, lit- yeah, yeah, juvenile literature. Yeah, juvenile literature. to keep in mind. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's great. So that's what I got. Cool. Well, thanks for listening. This has been Bookish at Bethel. <laughs>